0: So the hit pieces for many doctors and health professionals around the world was massive during the vaccine rollout in the UK and other parts of the world. Those who questioned the authority, those who questioned Big Pharma, those who questioned and simply wanted to have investigations into these products were attacked, were berated, and so much more. But stay, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a retired pediatrician we've got another doctor on the show it's dr ron jones so do you want to give a little introduction about who you are and what you're about
1: right hello rory thanks um yeah i retired i was a general pediatrician and my main interest was in newborn intensive care um and i retired seven years ago but at the beginning of the pandemic the we were asked to go back, and I re-registered with the GMC, and I, um, you know, got as far as online interviews and uh, doing my CRB checks. But of course, children weren't really affected by COVID. So actually, the children's ward at my local hospital was eerily quiet. There were, you know, children who should have been there weren't because they'd been so frightened to stay away and don't go near the hospital um, unless you've got COVID. And even with you've got COVID, you only go if you're blue and breathless. Um, so. I just sat at home feeling rather guilty, I suppose. And um, because I'm in my seventies, I was told, you know, that we should be really shutting down for three months. And I thought that seemed very weird. Because I have to say, when I was working, I was involved in pandemic planning for the swine flu, because I was sort of director of women and children's services at the time. Um and there was never any question about lockdowns in that. There was a there was a, a thorough plan that was worked out and it 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 just seemed a very odd requirement but anyway we sort of did as as we were told at the beginning felt sort of vaguely uneasy and then as the weeks went by it was clearly more and more ludicrous because the younger healthy members of the society were not told to just go back to normal after three weeks which was I think the original plan was that those who were vulnerable would stay inside for maybe 12 weeks and everybody else it was just three weeks to just check that the NHS wasn't going to fall over um, and I know our local hospital they were they were very busy in those early weeks um, and they were cancelling cold surgery and, and turning all the operating theatres into extra intensive care capacity um, and then what was really weird was as suddenly I think was the point where they were going to turn the children's ward into the fifth intensive care ward um, that was about eight weeks in I suppose um, because there were so few children, they were going to make up a sort of six bedded bay round in the children's clinic. But it didn't happen just as the cases had been going up, they suddenly turned the corner and started coming down again um this wasn't to do with anything, really. I don't think it was to do with lockdowns or social distancing. It was just the way that infections move through a particular society at the time and move out the other side and then the numbers were coming right down but what was really weird was that they then didn't just open up again they didn't start going back to normal and trying to let all the surgeons get on and catch up with the backlog that had been created on on the knowledge that it was a winter virus and it would be back the next autumn sure enough and it was but they completely wasted that first summer they did nothing as far as i could see they were under instructions not to go back to normal And the other thing which, again, so my husband, who was a general physician at the hospital, he thought that was really odd because we closed, they closed surgical wards every winter. It wasn't anything new. This was maybe worse than an average winter pandemic, but it wasn't, you know, a hundred times worse. It was probably five times worse. But as soon as they got back to normal, always the surgeons would be chafing at the bit to get back on with the backlog. So there seemed to be central control of what was happening in individual hospitals. And then the other thing that, of course, struck me as very odd as a paediatrician, because it was so clear that children were not affected, was why were children being confined to their homes? Why were schools being closed? And, you know, I think we all thought the schools were going to reopen at Easter, but they didn't. And then it got to half term. And then there was this very half-hearted opening. So, you know, if you were in your restructural years, she went back, but nobody else did. And you know if you were secondary school you didn't go back at all and um, so that began to feel really weird and then I started hearing comments about you know children wearing masks parents in the outdoor you know collecting children from primary school to wear a mask in the playground and at that point I just thought this is the world's gone mad this is not right and then particularly you got I got some little meme that somebody put out about don't kill your granny and I just thought come on I'm a grandparent, but the last, I've had my three, score years and 10, and I'd like some more, but the last thing I want is my grandchildren and their friends and generation being totally messed up um, on my account. That just didn't feel right. It's complete turning upside down of the normal ethics of society where you do put children first. And we've done exactly the opposite through all of this.
0: Wow. A lot, a lot to dive in there from what you experienced starting off with and kind of the gradual insanity of it all so kind of talking about the movements and everything to do with it can we specifically talk about to do with the covid vaccine for the for kids because that was a massive thing the threshold constantly got moved so as a pediatrician someone who constantly recommends people to get the vaccine what was your view of that and how has that um kind of hurt your view in i guess the health institutions, because you know, vac. I, I'm. A, I think vaccines are great, but what happened during COVID was, from my view, and from people like you, was crazy. So, what's your, what was your actual take? And I've seen that all unfold.
1: Well, my take was that this was utterly new technology with no long term safety data, and therefore was inappropriate for children. Full stop. I just. I can't begin to work out where the ethics that thought this was appropriate for children came from. Now at the beginning, we were clearly told, I mean Patrick Valance was saying, you know, if we can get all the at least over 50s and, and people with health vulnerabilities vaccinated, that would have accounted for 98% of the deaths in the first wave. And then we had Kate Bingham, the vaccines are, saying the same, this is a vaccine for the elderly and the frail. Um, it won't be for children. But you see, it started when they started in December 2020 with the vaccine, that seemed to be the plan. Um, but once they got down and they'd done all the 50s and um, over 50s and, and the people with particular high risk conditions, it's like they got onto this sort of roller coaster. They didn't know how to stop saying that this vaccine was the best thing since sliced bread. And actually, the evidence of efficacy has become weaker and weaker over time you know i know lots of people who've had three or four or five doses of vaccine and they've had two or three or four doses of covid and you think does this really work is this what you queued up for and were so terrified you couldn't start seeing your friends till you'd had this and i think there again when i mentioned the masks you know don't kill your granny That the the idea that this vaccine was going to prevent transmission infection and transmission was what led the official line to include protecting your community, you see, children well, included. I mean, even last summer there was an advert for five to eleven year olds with a child sitting on their granny's knee, and the advert that so was obviously aimed at the parent, I suppose, saying, you know, get your child vaccinated to protect their, their the vulnerable members of your family. Well, you know, grandchildren were vaccinated, it wouldn't protect me. It's up to me. I want protection, and. and So that whole thing of making people feel guilty if they weren't vaccinated, um, uh, you know, I I just found that extremely unhelpful. And the whole thing of the bribery, the sort of let's put a vaccine centre at Thorpe Park, Theme Park, and the Ministry of Sound Nightclub and Charlton Athletic Football, and we'll give free tickets to the football for the first thousand people to come and get vaccinated there. You know, like that. I mean, in all my working career... I've never seen anything <laughs> remotely like this.
0: To to someone who says to you, <clears throat> "Well, they went through loads of clinical tests. It's safe and effective. We need to trust the scientists. Um, it's gone through vigorous studies and everything. It saves lives. It's safe and effective." What's your response to them?
1: My response is that that's not true. It's as simple as that. If you the World Health Organization in October 2020, they were a bit late to do this. They had a meeting and set up some draft guidelines for regulating these new gene therapy type vaccines. Um, and but of course, by then, most of the drug companies were already three quarters of the way to launching them. So the end, they went round in circles and just said, oh, we're going to say this is too complicated. And they just used the existing vaccine guidelines to uh, authorize them. And if you look at the actual paperwork presented to the regulators, there's all things just saying not applicable, not applicable. You know, um, reproductive studies, not applicable. Genotoxicity, carcinogenesis, things causing cancer, not applicable. Now, a new vaccine, a new flu vaccine, based on new flu vaccines for 30 years, and you're just doing a new strain of flu with the same technology as before, to just cut all the corners and say not applicable but it's a completely new technology to this day have no idea how much spike protein is made by different people in which parts of the body and for how long they give you a genetic code to tell you to make the spike protein vaccines if they tell you they're giving you 30 nanograms of hepatitis b antigen then that's what they're giving you but they're giving you 13 nanograms uh, of uh, a technology and they do not know where it goes and how long it goes around for and how how much different people make which is probably why there's been a uh, range of side so effects there's some you know some people have had catastrophic adverse events and other people seem to be fine and that who knows whether that's to do with how much spike protein they've made or but the whole technology, putting the putting the the mRNA inside a little lap, lipid nanoparticle, is designed to get it across into inside your cell. Um, you know, and the, the lipid nanotechnology also is toxic in its own right, and has largely been um, dropped from other um, therapeutic uses. I, it's been really worrying. I mean, I had access to a lot of information that the public wouldn't have seen. Um, I've been in, in conference calls with um, cardiologists in Israel and in, in the US that were the same groups that were talking to the JCVI. When the JCVI was saying we don't want to give this to children, we don't think the balance of benefit and risk is good enough, um, and it said in the minutes that they've been in conference calls, and I'm thinking, well, who's that going to be? That must be those people who just published, um, you know, published a, a, an article showing heart inflammation on on cardiac scans in children in the states um and so you know just emailed the first author and, and she said oh certainly we can talk tomorrow i mean it's been, it's been really helpful um and so jcvi were told and you to their meetings and they quite clearly were not keen for this vaccine to be rolled out to children
0: wow so <clears throat> based on everything you've said there the question then um goes is why why were regulators accepting this vaccine if what you've said is to be true why were um the WHO recommenders to take it why were all these people in government in the NHS saying take the safe and effective product if that if that was true?
1: I think that's a that's a really difficult question. I don't think we in honesty know the answer. I think Greed must have a major, major part in it. Um, Drug industry produced a vaccine after the pandemic of swine flu. um, And they got it out in relatively quickly, but it took them two years, by which time the swine flu epidemic had all fizzled out. And they did not get a good return on their money from that. And then, of course, it turned out to have, again, major side effects. Another year or two or three down the road with brain injury in children again. Um, and so they withdrew it. So this time around, I think there were a huge rush to get as many doses out as they possibly could before anybody noticed that actually the safety record isn't very good. Um and was about the trials that were completely um irregular, which is that the people who were given the placebo, the so-called controls in the trials, were then offered the vaccine. Um, you know, a few months down the line. They never had the proper one or two year follow-up that you normally get for a new drug. Um, now, again, they piece that on it. it's the drug company, Pfizer, asked the regulators to let them give the vaccine to their control group because they said it wouldn't be ethical if we show it works, then it wouldn't be ethical not to offer it. Well, you can argue that if the trial had been in the frail and elderly for whom there might have been a potential benefit. But given that actually the frail and the elderly weren't really in the trial very much, most of the people in the trials were young and healthy, then for so them enough to go in for a trial that's giving you a new technology that has no safety data on it, surely you're also brave enough to say, OK, 50-50, I'll, I'll take the risk with the virus or I'll take a risk with the vaccine. I don't know which it is. how trials normally work. But to just say, oh, well, you know, you were afraid... You weren't afraid of this new vaccine, but you're too afraid to risk getting COVID. I mean, really? If you were a 25-year-old and had no health issues, surely? But that's how it's happened. And that means that when we've waited, you know, there's been a lot of signs saying these are experimental drugs and people criticise and say, no, no, you can't say that. They're all past. But they were passed on the normal assumption that then they they were passed for temporary use on the basis that the trials would come through with the further information. And of course, the two-year follow-up trials that we've all been waiting for are quite meaningless because actually they are no different from the six-month
0: follow-up trial. Damn, lots to digest there as well. well I guess because there there will be p- people listening similar to when i had dr claire craig on who are very pro vaccine what's one thing you can say to those people who just say to you well majority of physicians say it's safe and effective my doctor says to take the vaccine what's your message to those people what.
1: what? ask yourself you won't ask them if they've had the vaccine themselves i think it's quite interesting that in the health service i think the uptake of boosters was about just under 40 percent that means 60 percent of them didn't take those boosters now why not because they were in work in and out meeting people with covid and if they thought they were safe they would have taken them so i think that's quite worrying you know i know people who've said you know uh, colleagues who've said that their GPs were recommending the vaccine to other people's children, but they weren't getting their own children vaccinated. Now, to my mind, that is just totally beyond ethics. I mean, it's just, that's not ethical. You can bring your personal baggage into your professional work, but at the same time, you shouldn't be recommending something that you don't think is good enough for your own family. I don't think. Um, And you also have to check on the finances of it all, because these were being paid a bonus. They're paid to go and do... Um, these vaccine clinics um, and oh, I'm not saying we would do it for the money, but it's when you look at regulators, you know, a large amount of the funding comes from the pharmaceutical industry. And if you look at academia, if you look at where all the papers are being published, again, many, many biomedical science departments in universities are largely funded by big pharmaceutical industry. And I think that's been, that's just crept up over the last 10, 20 years, um, really. And it makes it much harder if you don't publish what your donors want you to say and you say something that's really contra- contrary. I mean, just as an example, I've been writing a lot of these open letters to um, the regulators, I've, which I've had signed by um, physicians and academics and so on, and we've written to them. MHRA and the JCVI and all these different, and the chief medical officer, etc. Um, but, you know, I knew that, that there was one guy who was a professor of inorganic chemistry, and it fortunately wasn't about writing one of my letters, but he's an expert on aluminium, and he'd been writing stuff about aluminium toxicity and dementia. Um, but he got to the point where his department, they sack him. But they just said, look, to be honest, we've under such pressure from the vaccine industry because aluminium is in adjuvants for a lot of vaccines. um, And if you carry on doing this sort of work on aluminium, then they're going to stop our funding. And couldn't you do, couldn't you study some other heavy metal like lead or something that's not controversial?
0: Um,
1: and It's I, I myself, having been having written this letter to the um, regulators, when they ignored it, they didn't reply. For, this was back in, in May twenty twenty one. They didn't reply initially, but. Eventually, after a bit of nagging, they finally replied two hours after they'd gone ahead and authorised it. And they wrote and said, you know, we've looked and it's safe and effective. But when you looked at what they'd looked at, because they had to publish the basis of their decision, they had only looked at documentation from Pfizer. Oh, well, goodness. you know, Pfizer aren't going to tell you what they don't want you to know. Mm. Um, and then we wrote the following week after they you know, said this, we then wrote to the JCVI and the chief medical officer, But after that, I've only discovered quite recently that the Department of Health and Social Care, rather than acting on our letter and answering any of the scientific questions we'd asked, they referred me and, as far as I know, possibly all the authors, I don't know, the signatories, to the Counter-Disinformation Unit. (laughs) So I write a letter in good faith with 70 or 80 medical peer-reviewed journal references, etc. And instead of answering our queries... They send it to the counters, this information unit. And then they say there's free speech.
0: Oh, that is unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, that is absolutely bonkers to hear the capture of big pharma like that. So right now, what's the current landscape with Pfizer and everything to do with it? Because I know that there's a, I'm trying to remember what the specific legal term is in South Africa. They're taking Pfizer to court, I believe. And I know like India, I mean, it's a while back, but India haven't authorised mm. Pfizer to <clears throat> roll out there because they want to do their own safety, tri- cl- cl- uh, their own clinical trials and not yeah. give uh, protection liability to Pfizer. Or that's the wrong word, protection liability. I can't think of the yeah, the word uh, Yes,
1: of. it's the unlimited indemnity, yeah. I think. Yeah, indemnity,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's the landscape right now with, everything going on? Like is there? Do you think this they're going to be pulled? Do you think that? Like, what, what do you think is gonna happen next?
1: I, I don't know. I think it's very odd. I mean, if you look at AstraZeneca, that was the UK, um, Oxford product, which was, you know, we were the best science in the world, this wonderful product. And you know, for example, they did a children's trial in that. Um, and it was literally four weeks. I mean, I wrote to the the chief Um, investigator for that and said I'm really surprised you're studying this in children when you haven't yet got the safety data in adults. Um, But it was four weeks after that when the first adult deaths from this brain clotting problems arose. Now they weren't picked up in the UK, they were picked up in Denmark. Um, And the pandemics that came from Finland, they seem to have quite a thorough um, system of of checking for drug safety and our regulators just don't seem to pick these things up. They just keep saying, "Oh, it's just coincidence." If there's a load of you know enormous numbers of yellow cards being sent in, um, but two months down the line, you know, the children's trial had to be stopped. They then said that they were not going to use um, AstraZeneca for under 30s. Then they said, "Well, maybe not under 40s." Meanwhile, most of Europe had stopped giving it to under 50s. But in the end, just disappeared. If you look in the formulary says not available. So, still, in, yeah, it's, it's licensed. And what are we doing, selling it abroad? I don't know. So it's licensed here, we've never withdrawn the license. And then come to market, that's never big enough to pick up rare, but serious side effects. They'll pick up the common frequent stuff, which is mild, usually. I mean, obviously if they picked up something common that was severe, it would never get past the trial stage. But assuming it's something with a relatively rare, severe side effect, it will go out to market. And the whole point of the yellow card system and the ongoing surveillance is that you pick these things, and and you know, so often drugs get pulled from the market. Um, but there seems to be no plan for how bad do things have to be before they will pull this from the market. It's like nobody kind of they got it wrong. And it's across the whole world, really. So AstraZeneca had effectively gone. Um, Pfizer, I thought, must have bought them out or something. I don't know what was going on, you know, why AstraZeneca got dropped, but we then were to all have Pfizer instead. But Pfizer's not really been any better. Um, Moderna, they are currently recruiting for a children's trial for Moderna boosters. Now, I i just, children don't need the vaccine in the first place, let alone boosters. And if you look at the literature for this trial, which started recruiting well, I, I saw it advertised on the 30th of June, which was the same day that was the last day of availability for the vaccines for children, full stop. So we're no longer vaccinating children anymore in the UK. In fact, nobody under 50, healthy under 50s can get a vaccine. You have to have some specific reason to get the vaccine now. But yet they're inviting healthy teenagers to come and take one of the Moderna boosters, despite the fact that. In that age group, the 16 to 17 year olds is the highest risk from heart inflammation, myocarditis of all all the age ranges. You know, it seems it's ironic that the the younger you are, the less your risk of COVID, but the more your risk from the side effects of the vaccines. And so that's means that that balance between you know you might be up here with a high risk of covid and a, a, and a low risk from a vaccine but if you're younger and younger and your risk from covid drops down and down but your risk of the vaccine actually goes up you know why would anybody want to give their child a, a moderna booster
0: mm, god that is unbelievable to hear that's actually happening like why why are they and yeah, is that gonna be, like be authorized in the uk it, you think... I presume so
1: yeah I, I presume so uh, and it's it you know if you look at the blurb in the 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 advert for this trial it's all about sort of helping the world you know it's this same you know emotional stuff it's not saying I think it actually contributes international law because for children because they can't give consent you can't give consent for a child to have something that can't directly benefit them so all research on children or you know, people with mental um, incapacity for making their own consent judgments um, are protected. And that followed on from the, you know, from the Second World War in the Nuremberg um, Code. Um, but it's it's Helsinki Agreement, Declaration of Helsinki. It's pretty clear that for children, that any research can only be done if the drug being researched is likely to benefit the children. And yet in this, in this flyer, it actually It says this is an experimental um, product. So we don't know if it's safe. We don't know if it's effective. So in that sense, they say that the likely side effects that we've seen with other similar products are, and then it's the usual stuff, which is a sore arm and a bit of a muscle ache and, you know, maybe a slight temperature. And they usually typically last for two or three days. And nowhere where do they mention heart inflammation might seem to last for two or three days, the chest pain might go, but actually 5% of the children in the States who presented the chest pain and got cardiac, proper cardiac scans done had scarring on their heart. Now, okay, they've done repeat follow-ups in six months, and some of those it seems to have resolved, but some of them have got persistent permanent scarring, and they are going to be at increased risk of sudden death. Um, and nobody's telling them that, so to my mind the the informed consent for a research project project is just not fit for purpose at all
0: well a, a lot of a lot of definitely depressing depressing news and depressing what's actually going on, the capture of regulated bodies, the capture and the profit incentives of the pharmaceutical industry everything is. Very glim. Is there any like positives, any big movements, yeah. any big strides going on currently in the space?
1: Yeah, positives are a lot of the public are beginning to think, for goodness sake, you know. I mean, if you look at the uptake of the vaccines in children in the UK, I think um, well certainly less than 50% of schools have had children have had two doses. Um, and in primary school it was about eleven percent when I last looked. So the uptake's been very low. Um, And I think that's because parents have used their common sense. They've thought, well, you know, A, 98% of kids had already had COVID by the time they were authorising the dose for primary school. And B, you think, well, okay, my child had COVID and they were fine. And their friends had COVID and they were fine. And do you know anybody whose child went to hospital and got sick? That's not to say nobody's children went to hospital and got sick, but it was extremely rare. And in the first March 2020 to March 2021, so that includes two winter waves, um, in that time in England, there were 25 deaths of children with COVID. And um, of those 19, I think, had serious underlying health conditions. So there were six healthy children who died. Um, And yes, that's, that's awful. But if you vaccinate 12 million children to prevent six healthy deaths, um, as opposed to vaccinating, you know, the children who are genuinely really high risk, who, who always be vaccinated. Um, but, you know, the balance of side effects will greatly outweigh the the, the benefits. Um, and again, that's one of the things that's been wrong with the trials. As I said, they 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 canceled the, the control group. But the other thing they've done was they reported the results always in terms of um, reduced deaths against from covid but you have to report as all cause deaths or all cause hospitalizations or whatever because otherwise you can't you if you look at the original moderna and pfizer trials of well, the pfizer trial for example there were actually one more death in the vaccinated arm than the placebo arm which is slightly odd when we're saying this is a brilliant vaccine well the answer is there were sort of far less deaths from covid but there were more deaths from cardiovascular events and heart cardiac arrests and bits. So when you looked at the final sum total between the two groups, there was one more death in the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. And then when they did the six-month follow-up, there'd been a whole load more deaths um, in the vaccinated again. So the difference landed up being about five more deaths in the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. Um, but, you know, they'll tell us it's effective because they don't look at that side of the equation. They only look at the reduction of deaths from COVID.
0: God, uh, <laughs> really, really disturbing and depressing um but you're right like the common sense factor is definitely pulling through there so kind of concluding what's one message you have for a doctor potentially listening who thinks the vaccine's safe and effective what's your message to that doctor
1: well my message is first off go and actually read the the articles for yourself don't just take it on On trust from the data you're getting from the NHS. I mean, I know lots of that. They just say, "Oh, we've been told it's safe," and they're just believing it. And you know, you you just go and look at the articles and at the supplements. Quite often, a lot of the articles you'll find the abstract and the conclusion is quite different from the results because they've always been told we can't, we wouldn't publish this. And you know, you'll see something. There was one on sperm counts from Israel. And the sperm counts, they were routine sperm donors, and they were then getting vaccinated and they got before and after levels of, of healthy sperm measured. And they'd gone down. And then by three months, they were, you know, 25% below what they'd been. And but at five months, they were at percent So they sort of said, Oh, well, it's recovering. But I haven't followed them long enough to see that it had got back to normal. And then they just sort of said, So, you know, there's no evidence of any permanent damage. It shouldn't affect vaccine uh, uptake. And and I've seen a heart saying, you know, showing all about the myocarditis and then saying that this is important to be aware of when you're you know, looking after people after their vaccines. It's sort of saying, make sure you look after them properly when they've got myocarditis rather than saying, hang on, why are we giving this to cause the myocarditis in the first place? Why not just not give it? So I think they just need to do some homework and don't be afraid to ask around and ask other people. I think you'd be surprised once you start talking a bit more, the number of people who actually are genuinely worried and they don't know who to turn to and they don't know who to talk to. Um they're afraid they'll lose their jobs if they speak out. There's a group called Doctors for Patients UK that's um got, you know, quite a lot of people in now, um, that has been giving, you know, I think quite a lot of support to um those who were working in isolation and feeling quite pressured to toe the party line, so speak. Oh, yeah, it's quite different from retirement. It's much easier uh, because, you know, I I deregistered again from the GMC because I wasn't needed to go back to work. I stayed on for three years and then I thought, well, I don't know what this is about, so I came (laughs) off again. But, you know, at the end of the day, I can say what I like and I will say not what I like because I don't like saying this. I'd rather it was... That this wasn't happening, but I will go on saying what I think is is the honest um, and only mm-hmm. right um, thing to say, which is that there was totally inadequate safety data, and there has been there have been a lot of side effects. that were predicted, some of them were fairly predictable, but some of them weren't, um, and it, they just seem to have got stuck of thinking we can't we can't pull this, and I think. They need to, and they need to do that too, because the other thing is we're really sold on this mRNA technology. So Moderna have now got a big government grant. They're building a huge um, research centre in Oxford, um, and they're going to want to bring more R- mRNA vaccines along because they've got this new technology now. Um, and all the old vaccines, they're they're off patent now, aren't they? So, you know, you if you want a, um, I don't know, a... a tetanus jab, and you live in India, you can get them in India, you know, and they're made in Nigeria, and they're, you know, and so on. All these, all these vaccines are all all um, off patent because they've been around for thirty years. And now here, suddenly, there's an option to say, "Oh, let's pick a new flu vaccine next year with mRNA," and then you come around and say, "Oh, and it's much more effective, um, and it's very safe." Because look how wonderful the COVID vaccines were. Mm. So we really need to get this out. Before they start moving it to other diseases, because I think otherwise there's a real danger that all our existing vaccines will get swapped over.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, like it's it's a crazy thing to see that. And I know the research and development. I think it was 980 million by Rishi Sunak for Moderna, I think. And he has holdings in Moderna, so just daylight corruption inside the <laughs> trading. You don't need to be a yeah. genius to figure yeah. that out. Um, yeah. And then like easily a conflict of interest in the approval for it. a few backhanders like it's not conspiratorial at all to say that but thank you so much for coming on the show i know it's only been a short one it's been very depressing (laughs) all the stuff we've heard yeah Um, but like the bottom line is people don't want to hear a difference of perspective and that i think there are there is a silent majority bubbling away like no matter what the issue is you kind of you keep your head down for ages and then you say yeah. it and then you realize everyone else is thinking of the same thing it's just yeah. everyone was afraid yeah. to say it um, yeah. I, I've,
1: been, I've been amazed at how many people have come up to me you know because they've seen me speaking out you know I, I, people in the choir I sing in or you know neighbors um, you know I had something from one of my neighbors only a week ago just suddenly on whatsapp we have a street whatsapp thing saying thank you so much for everything you're doing well i know i did she approved of what i was doing you know a, a, there's an awful lot of people out there who are kind of they know there's been something about this whole thing that just didn't feel right um and i i think the downgrading of other treatments like you know just you know, things like vitamin d uh, you know i mean david davis he's on the counter disinformation unit blacklist too and I think that was just asking questions in the House of Commons about vitamin D and he might have asked something about ivermectin he was never out there being anti-vax but the trouble is you know that's again, again about greed um, if they couldn't if there'd been good treatments out there then they wouldn't have been able to get this emergency authorization. Um, and so again that's something we've neglected over the years we've not done the proper Research for getting other ways of of um, looking after people when they're ill, or or, or improving their health. I and mean, if you look at the general health of the the nation, it's not it it gets worse, doesn't it? You know, general health, nothing to do with COVID, just people's energy levels and their their the levels of obesity. I just find so sad. You see youngsters who are just how so ho hugely overweight be good for their life expectancy metabolic syndrome all these things that we know are high risk for covid um but we're not not really helping people to to um lead a healthier lifestyle really
0: mm, yeah i completely agree and like classic one there's memes where it's like you know how much should with this drug cost it makes you feel happy it's great for your body it reduces every single illness it's exercise like that's that's the thing isn't it like if if the big farmer could yeah Mm. you know just fresh air um ah anyway yeah. yeah well f- thanks so much for coming on again it's okay. been an absolute blast I hope everyone listening has really appreciated and enjoyed this conversation and it's a massive insight and it's great to have another doctor back on the show and hopefully we can get more doctors on and what i'm hoping for one day is to do a live debate with a panel of doctors i have a friend who's a doctor he's very kind of pro safe and effective but i'm you know i've got quite a few friends now who are doctors who completely disagree with that and i'd love to just have yeah. an old school debate um where i can host it and it'd just be incredible yeah. so i'll definitely keep your contact and yeah help no i'll
1: well, keep, yeah. keep counting for that they they don't want to know on the whole i, I mean i did a Cheapy news thing ages ago and they it was the quiet when they'd only just opened and they said they couldn't have me on until they'd found somebody to put the other side because they had to um give a balanced view i did ask them to get june rain the chairman of the j of the mhra but needless to say <laughs> she was busy and in the end, I got put up against a vet. So that was relatively easy. Oh. And she agreed with me. So it was quite funny. <laughs> she turned around and went oh, I don't know much about this. I think you're probably right.
0: Yeah, I've seen all your stuff and it's really good. Definitely check that out, everyone who's listening. Check out heartgroup.co.uk and all the work they do and all the open letters they've sent to HRA and um, everyone surrounding that, the government approval all that brilliant work to do but yeah thanks so much for listening everyone it's been an absolute hey. blast and i will catch you thursday at six o'clock next week love you all. it's bye from me and bye from me
1: Peace.